Well, good morning again, church. Uh, we're going to be turning now to our series in the book of Psalms, Songs for the King. And uh, today we're continuing on in Psalm 96, a great song, a song of praise to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, I'm going to pray briefly as we ask the Lord to bless our time of worship, studying God's Word. So uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the opportunity now to come to your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would inspire this message. Uh, Lord, help me to speak clearly and faithfully, and we pray that you would use this word to transform our hearts, to give us a greater vision of who you are and what you've called us to, to be people of worship and praise as we acknowledge you, the creator and king of all. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray this in your great name. Amen. If you saw the news a couple weeks ago, you probably couldn't have missed the, uh, the acknowledgement of a great event that took place over in England for the people of England. It was called the Platinum Jubilee. And uh, the Platinum Jubilee was the celebration of 70 years of the reign of Queen Elizabeth that you see here on the picture on the right, dressed in the green uh, suit coat. Uh, Queen Elizabeth celebrated 70 years of her rule over the British kingdom. Now, again, I mean, that doesn't mean a lot for us, you know, patriots, you know, us, us rebels here in America, but for the British people, that was a pretty big deal. In fact, this 70-year jubilation, it was, she is now the longest-serving royal in the history of the British Empire. That's pretty incredible to think about, right? So, so the British people got together and they celebrated this Platinum Jubilee. And it was a, a three-day event and it culminated on June 5th with a, a royal carriage uh, march through the streets of London. And then the royal family stood out on the pa uh, balcony of Buckingham Palace. And as you see in the pictures, there were literally tens of thousands of British citizens who gathered outside in front of Buckingham Palace. And at the end of the celebration... They all spontaneously erupted in the British national anthem, God Save the Queen. And thousands and thousands of voices sang together, God save our gracious queen. Long live our noble queen. God save the queen. Send her victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us. God save the queen. Now, they were singing again in celebration over their joy about this great momentous occasion for their, uh, their queen, the British monarchy. And again, for the British people, that's a great cause to celebrate. Uh, for us today, however, who don't have a king or queen in this world, we also have cause to celebrate. We have an even greater cause to celebrate the reign of the true king, the true sovereign over all, the one who is sovereign over every earthly king and queen, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God that we see lifted up and glorified in the book of Psalms. Remember, our sermon series this summer is titled Psalms, Songs for the King. And again, Yahweh, the God of Israel, our God is the king of kings, Lord of 
overall. And this is what's depicted in the book of Psalms. If you remember from last week, we introduced the book of Psalms. The Psalms are 150 songs that were written over a thousand year period of Israel's history. And these songs were written to instruct the people of Israel in their knowledge of God, his nature, his character, his work in the world, and how we can live our lives in a right relationship with him. And so the the Israelites would sing these psalms as a way of instructing themselves or reminding themselves about these powerful truths. And and in the psalms, there are a number of major themes that we see uh, throughout the book. Uh, Last week, we looked at the theme of a psalm of praise. And so we saw a song of praise to God. Today, we're going to look at a second theme that we see in the psalms, a song of enthronement, a song of enthronement. These are psalms that are written to celebrate the king of all creation, Yahweh, the God over the entire world, the king of kings and lord of lords. The psalm of enthronement that we're going to be looking at today is Psalm 96. Now, this is an interesting psalm because this was a psalm that was written by King David for the specific purpose of celebrating the arrival of the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. If you remember your biblical history, uh, King Saul was the first king of Israel. He became an evil king, and, and he and David ended up in kind of this civil war situation. David ultimately became king over Israel. David ultimately captured the city of Jerusalem, made that the capital of Israel. Uh, during all of this, the Philistines down in the southern end of the nation of Israel were still harassing the Israelites, and the Philistines had ended up stealing the Ark of the Covenant. The, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was the special box that, that God had ordered the Israelites to make to uh, carry the Ten Commandments that he had given Moses at Mount Sinai. The Ark of the Covenant traveled with the Israelites in the tabernacle, and it literally represented the rule and reign of God on earth. The Ark of the Covenant, the Israelites viewed it as the throne of God on earth. And so the Philistines had literally stolen God's throne, the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the Israelites ended up getting the Ark of the Covenant back, and David brought the Ark to Jerusalem, the city of God, the place where God would rule and reign over his people. And in 1 Chronicles 15 and 16, you can read all about this story. It's really incredible. David had a massive procession as they brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He had singers, he had musicians. We read about how David you know, threw off his clothes and danced like a wild man in the streets because he was so excited about God's presence coming to the city of Jerusalem. And it was this awesome celebration. Well, as part of this celebration, recognizing the enthronement of God, God coming to reign over Israel from Jerusalem, David wrote this psalm, Psalm 96. And you can read this exact psalm in 1 Chronicles 16. It's right there as well because he wrote it for this occasion. It was an enthronement psalm celebrating the rule and reign of God. I want us to read this psalm this morning. And if you have your Bibles, you're going to notice a breakdown of this psalm that's going to look different than what you see on the screen behind me. This is a song again. 
And remember, David wrote this psalm as a song, and there are three stanzas in this psalm. So if you have your Bibles open, you're probably going to see that it's broken up. There's three chunks of Scripture. Those are three stanzas, three collections of verses that go along with this psalm. And we're going to look at each of these stanzas this morning. It's very interesting, the order that David writes here, because in these stanzas, what you're going to notice is David gives a series of commands in each of these stanzas, but he follows those commands with a reason for the command. So I want you to pay attention to that as we read, and then we're going to come back and we're going to highlight some of this for us as we study this passage together. David starts out in Psalm 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Stanza 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Stanza three, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. So here in this great psalm, we, we see a celebration of God, Yahweh, as the king, the sovereign over all. And in these three stanzas of this song, David gives us a series of commands, and he shares the reasons for these commands. So I, I want to look at this more closely because it's important for us to both get a picture of who our God is. Remember, we talked about last week, there's no more important thing for any of us to consider than who our God is. It's the most important thing any of us can think about. So we're going to see what David says about our God here, but we're also going to see the call, the response the, the call to worship and praise and rejoice as a result of David's explanation or description of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. David here in our psalm, he calls us to celebrate the reign of the Lord. And in the very first stanza of our psalm, found in verses 1 through 6, he does so by telling us to sing. David says, sing, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Why are we to sing? He tells us because the Lord is greater than all the gods. Our Lord, Yahweh, the creator of all, is greater than all the gods. And so David says, sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. 
He is to be feared above all the gods. And so David says, sing. Sing a new song. The, the, the key reason behind David's call to sing to the Lord, why we're called to sing a new song to the Lord, David tells us in verse 5, the reason we sing is because all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. Now, now the words that David uses here in the Hebrew are very important for us to understand. When David says all the gods of the peoples, he uses the, the, the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim can refer to God or the gods of this world or, or heavenly beings like angels. Well, in this context, he's referring to the gods of the world. So David says all the Elohim, the gods of the world, are worthless idols. And that term worthless idols in the Hebrew is Elohim. Now, now that might kind of ring a bell for you because Elohim and Elohim sound somewhat similar, right? What David is doing here in the Hebrew is he's using a play on words to essentially mock the gods of this world. David is saying all the Elohim are Elohim. In other words, all the gods of this world are worthless idols. And the word Elohim, it literally means in Hebrew, nothings. David says all the gods of this world are nothings. All the Elohim are Elohim. They're nothings. I read an interesting article recently. Uh, CNN Online had, uh, had a story about a, uh, a curator at the Brooklyn Museum of Antiquities, a guy by the name of uh, uh, Edward Blyberg. And in the story, Blyberg tells how over his many years of being the curator of this Museum of Antiquities in Brooklyn, New York, the, the most common question he was asked of people who would tour the museum was why do all these statues of gods and idols have their noses broken off? And, and, and it was interesting because in the story he says, you know, here I was, I was this curator of this museum for years and years, and, and I always just kind of took it for granted. You know, all of these statues we have, they all have their noses broken off. And he said, I guess I just kind of chalked it up to, you know, these appendages are sticking out, and after hundreds or thousands of years, I mean, they're easy to break off, you know, maybe transporting them, they got broken off. Or, but, but he began to realize and do some research that all of these statues of these various idols from around the world, they all had their noses broken off, or some of them would have their appendages broken off. And the rest of the statue would be just fine, but, but the nose would be gone or an arm would be gone. And so he says that he began to do some research into this, and he began to discover that in the ancient world, cultures would create these idols, and they believed that their gods literally indwelt these idols and lived within them. And so when another culture would come and they would engage in warfare or one civilization would take over another, one of the ways that they would desecrate or, or disparage or denigrate the gods of the, of the nation that they've conquered would be by breaking off its nose or cutting off its arm because they believed that they were literally doing damage to those gods. You see, if the god didn't have a nose, the god couldn't breathe. And the God would die. And so they would cut off the idol's nose. If the God didn't have an arm, he couldn't receive offerings. And thereby also would, would fail to survive without receiving food offerings and the such. And so, so this was a common phenomenon in the ancient world. They would tear off a nose to literally kill 
the gods of the people that they had conquered. Friends, in verse 5 of our passage this morning, we should read David's words as literally his knockout punch in the nose to all the false gods of this world. David is punching these gods in the nose, and he is saying to the people of Israel, he's saying to us this morning, that all of the gods are literally nothings. They're worthless. They're nothings. They can't stand up to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who created all the earth. In fact, this is a message that we see consistently throughout God's word. The prophet Isaiah, for example, he, he mocks the false gods of this world and the idols of this world. In Isaiah 41, 21 through 24, Isaiah says to the pagan peoples about their gods, set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proof, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring and tell us what is to happen. So in other words, he's talking to these gods, right? Tell us the future, gods. Tell us about these things that are going to happen. Tell us the things, the former things, what they are. What, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome. Or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm. In other words, do something, right? Show us some kind of proof that we may be dismayed and terrified. But then Isaiah says, behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. Again, throughout Scripture, we see God repeatedly disparages the false gods of this world because they're nothing. They can't do anything for you. They can't satisfy. Now, some of you might be here this morning, and you're thinking, well, Pastor Jason, I mean, yeah, that's good. You know, the ancient world, they all had their idols and statues, but we obviously don't have idols and statues today, so what does this have to do with us? Well, friends, understand, we might not have idols and statues in our homes today, but we still have our gods we still have the false gods that we turn to looking for hope, looking for joy, looking for fulfillment. Gods that we worship, if you will, setting up in higher places of authority and prominence in our lives above God, above Yahweh, above the Lord of Lords. And we look to these gods to bring us joy, to bring us peace, to bring us fulfillment. Gods like money, gods like status, gods like sex, gods like substances, drugs, and alcohol. Gods like beauty, gods like fame, right? We, we have all of these different gods that we look to for meaning and purpose. And these gods, friends, just like the idols of the ancient world, they're worthless. They're El Elim, they're nothings. They can't satisfy in fact, the prophet Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of God in Jeremiah 2.13, he, he says this about the gods of this world. God says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What's God saying here through Jeremiah? He's talking about the reality that the people of Israel had turned their backs on God and they had pursued false gods that he calls broken cisterns. What is a cistern? It was like an ancient well. They would dig these holes in the rocks and the rocks would collect the rainwater and they would use that rainwater for sustenance. That's where they would get their water from, from these cisterns. But the problem is, God says these cisterns that you've dug, the hope you've placed in these false gods, the, the gods that promise peace and security and joy and fulfillment, they're like broken cisterns that don't hold water. They're leaky. 
And, and they may satisfy for a time, but eventually they run dry and they can't fulfill. That's what you've done in exchanging the truth of God for the lies of idols. And friends, we do the very same thing. Every time we turn our backs on God in pursuit of the false gods of this world, modern-day gods like money and sex and pleasure and you know beauty and whatever it might be, whatever your personal God is or gods are, God says they're broken cisterns. They're leaky. They don't hold water. They're not going to satisfy. And the reality is there is only one God who can truly satisfy the longings of your heart. And that is Yahweh, the one who created you, the one who loves you, the one who desires to set you on the path that leads to life in all its fullness. And so this is why we sing. We sing because Yahweh is greater. He's greater than all the gods of this world. And David says we sing to Yahweh a new song. Why do we sing a new song? It's not that the old songs are bad, but David says sing a new song. Why do we sing a new song? It's because as Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 reminds us, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Friends, have you recognized that truth in your life? Have you seen the steadfast love of God? Have you seen his new mercies day by day? If you open your eyes, you will, because great is his faithfulness. And every day we have new reason to sing and new reason to praise and new reason to acknowledge God's greatness because his mercies are always new. And so David calls us to sing, sing a new song unto the Lord. In the second stanza of our psalm this morning, David goes on and he tells us to worship. He says, worship. Why? Because the Lord is sovereign over all the earth. And so he says worship. The Hebrew word for worship that David uses in verse 9 means to bow down, to prostrate yourself, to humble yourself. And here in verses 7 through 10 of our second stanza, David calls us to worship the Lord in this spirit of humility. Humbling ourselves before Yahweh. And of course, friends, we know that the Lord is worthy of our humility. He's worthy of our humility because, as David tells us in verse 10, the Lord reigns. He's sovereign. He's the ruler over all. And so we come into his presence worshiping him in a spirit of humility because he is great and he reigns. Yahweh, our Lord, is sovereign over all the earth. That's what the second half of verse 10 means when David says, yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. What, what's David talking about here, right? Like, we, we know the world moves, right? I mean, the world rotates and it ro move, you know, revolves around the sun in its orbit, right? So the earth obviously moves, right? We, we were told in our end time series that when the great white throne judgment comes, heaven and earth are going to flee from the presence of the one on the throne, right? So the earth obviously moves. What's David talking about here? When he says that the earth is established, it shall never be moved. Well, friends, understand... David isn't talking about the physical earth. What David is talking about here is the reality of the sovereign reign of God 
and his will for creation. He's talking about God's divine order and purposes for this world. He's talking about God's institutions, his mandates, his covenants, his laws, his perfect will. These things shall never be moved because God has spoken. The creator who rules and reigns over all has declared his will for the world. And his will shall never be shaken. The earth shall never be moved. Like Proverbs 21.30 tells us. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Why? Because he reigns. And because he reigns, the earth shall never be moved. And his will and his covenants and his law and his plans, all of these things are sure and steadfast and do not change. No matter how much the nations rage, no matter how strongly people rebel, no matter how depraved society becomes, God reigns and his perfect order for creation stands firm. We can trust that. Psalm 119, 89 through 91 tells us, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. David's talking about the reign of God. This world is his. His decrees, his declarations, his will, his plans, his covenants, his mandates, his dictates. These things are timeless and eternal and stand fast. No matter the will of humanity, no matter the will of human governments, no matter the will of human law, God's word stands fast and firm. And that's what David is celebrating here. He calls us to worship. David goes on in verse 10. He reminds us that because our creator reigns and because his will and his ways are always the best way, He says at the end of verse 10 that he will judge the peoples with equity. That that word equity there means righteousness. He'll judge the peoples with equity. Now, friends, this sounds like it's a future tense declaration. But it's really an affirmation for the present. Because think about this. David's reminding us here that the one who established the world, the one who rules and reigns over the world, he's the one who knows what's best. He's the one who knows how we should live today. And when we follow the creator's will and his rule and his reign and his dictates and his laws and his mandates, when we follow the God who knows best, that, friends, is when we will experience true equity, true righteousness in this world. If only we would trust him and obey, right? The Lord who reigns who established the world, whose will and ways are firm, if we would simply follow him, we would experience so much greater peace and prosperity and joy in life. Proverbs 16, 11 is a very interesting passage of scripture. It tells us a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. Interesting to think about that. David says the Lord will judge the people with equity. 
Friends, where do we find true justice? Where do we find true righteousness? Where do we find true fairness, true blessing, true prosperity? We go to the one whose scales are balanced justly, who, who, who has all the weights in the bag, and the weights in the bag are his will and his word and his plans and his purposes. And when we trust him, that's where we find justice. That's where we find equity. That's where we find prosperity. But our problem in this world is instead of turning to the one who balances the scales justly, we set about trying to rule and reign over creation the way that we think is best. And the problem is our human hearts are corrupt and sinful and wicked and evil and, and there is no human on earth, king, queen, government, representative government, totalitarian government. It doesn't matter. There is no government on earth that balances the scales fairly and justly. This is why as Christians we call people to turn to the Lord and go back to his word and trust in his judgments. Why? Because all the weights in the bag are from him. He is the one who rules and reigns in fairness, in justice, in truth, in equity. And when we turn to him, he balances the scales fairly. Do you wonder, friends, why we're perpetually dissatisfied with our politicians? Why we're constantly yearning for true justice and fairness in our society? Why, why it is that we increasingly feel divided as a people? It's because we've turned our backs on the one who judges with equity, who judges with righteousness, who judges fairly. And so our cause, friends, as Christians, is to continue to contend for the faith and to advocate the return of our nation to the Lord. Trusting that his will and his way is best because he rules and reigns supreme. And when we recognize his reign and when we acknowledge him as Lord over all, the only re appropriate response to that reality is, as David tells us, is worship. Because he reigns, he's sovereign. And so David says, worship him. He says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of people. The, the word ascribe means to regard a quality as belonging to. So in other words, you could read this passage as regard the quality of glory and strength as belonging to the Lord. Regard the glory of God and the glory due his name as belonging to Yahweh. When David says, speaks of the glory due his name, that word glory in the Hebrew, it's an interesting word. It literally means heavy or weighty. David says the, the name of the Lord, when we ascribe glory to God's name, the I am, Yahweh, that's a weighty thing. That's a heavy thing. When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the weightiness of God's name. How weighty is God's name, friends? It, it's so weighty that we, we read about in the Gospels that when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember the soldiers came to arrest Jesus? And the, the leader of the soldiers said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, ego eimi, I am. He spoke the name of Yahweh God. And what does the gospel tell us took place? All the soldiers fell flat on their backs at the power, the weightiness of the name of God. David says, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. It's very interesting in Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul tells us that one day 
every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to bow before Jesus, the King of Kings. Paul doesn't tell us why they're going to bow. He just says they're going to bow. And I wonder if it's because as they stand before the throne of Jesus, Jesus is going to declare, I am. And the weight of his pronouncement of the glorious name of God is going to cause everybody to fall and prostrate themselves in worship in front of the King of Kings. David says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering, come into his courts, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Friends, when you understand the rule and reign of God, you understand that the only appropriate response is to worship because he is sovereign over all. In the third stanza of our psalm this morning, David lastly tells us to rejoice. He says, rejoice because the Lord is coming to set all things right. What a great promise here. Some of you in the past couple of years may have heard of this movement that is being promoted by some of our global elite called the Great Reset, a group known as the World Economic Forum, which is made up of politicians and, and, uh, and uh, elites from society all over the world. They're promoting this idea called the Great Reset. And the idea is that by 2030, their goal for all of humanity is that you will own nothing and you will be totally happy. That, that's their stated goal. You can read about this. It's been in Time Magazine. It's been on CNN. Okay? They have this goal of this Great Reset. And why the Great Reset? Well, the Great Reset is all because they believe that the current path we're on as, as, a, as a world is unsustainable, that, that our economies and our governing structures and our, and our use of the environment, that, that all of this is unsustainable and we are going to bring calamity upon this world, and so we need to have a Great Reset. And many people saw the, the COVID mandates and the lockdowns as the beginnings of this Great Reset. This was a time for us to reframe the way we do everything, to, to create a more sustainable future for the world. And of course, when you study their goals for this great reset, you discover that their answer is to create a corporate, social, socialist, totalitarian, one world government that rules and reigns over all the rest of us, right? So the elite who fly around in their private jets, they, they dictate everything, and then we kind of live in these high-rise utopian cities where we own nothing and we eat bugs, and we're all going to be happy. Sounds great, doesn't it? That's the Great Reset. Friends, let me tell you something this morning. There is going to be a Great Reset, but it's not going to be the Marxist vision that our utopian elites are trying to usher in. No, the true reset is going to come when the Lord returns. And he's going to set all things right. And when he does, the Bible tells us that all creation is going to rejoice. The final stanza of Psalm 96, what we read here, this is really a prophetic declaration about the return of the Lord. David's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's singing here about the world's celebration of the Lord's second coming and his righteous reign over this earth when he rules from Jerusalem in that period known as the millennium where he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. 
What's that going to be like? Well, David tells us here. He says, the heavens are going to be glad. The earth's going to rejoice. The sea will roar and all that fills it. The earth, the field will exult. Everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Friends, this is the hope of the earth. The great reset that's coming, it's not a totalitarian Marxist vision. No, the great reset is really going to be a righteous reset when the king of kings comes and he rules and reigns over this world for a thousand years from his throne in Jerusalem and all the earth is going to rejoice. David's giving us a prophetic vision of this. It's going to be a great experience. If you missed Pastor Rick's sermon on the millennium, I'd encourage you to go back online and read that. And the great passages and the book of, book of Isaiah, the book of Ezekiel, Revelation 20, the promises of Jesus' reign over all the earth. Friends, when you understand David's prophetic vision here, you can understand his call to rejoice. You can understand why all the earth is going to rejoice when the true king comes and makes all things right. You know, I was thinking about this morning, what, what would be an appropriate response from us as God's people to this psalm, this psalm of enthronement, this psalm acknowledging the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I thought, you know what? There's probably no more appropriate response than, than David's call in verse 1 to sing a new song unto the Lord. And, and so this morning, I want to close our service by inviting you to join me in singing a song to the Lord. Now, we're not going to sing a new song. We're going to sing an old song. It's a song that many of you probably are very familiar with. But I want to encourage us to sing it to the Lord today in the spirit of a new song. The song I have in mind is Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. And friends, I want to invite you to join me. If you would, please stand and let's close this morning and follow David's admonitions and sing and worship and rejoice because our Lord reigns. You can follow along. We're going to sing three stanzas from Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Joyful, joyful, we adore you, God.
Let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And today we come and we worship you and we give you all the glory due your name. We thank you for your majesty, for your sovereignty, for the promise that you are coming again, that you are going to set all things right. And we look forward to that great and glorious day. And so today, Lord Jesus, we worship you. We declare that you are our king. Help us live faithfully for you as we go into the world this week and let us proclaim your reign and live under that reign in fear and in faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let me leave you with this benediction this morning, friends. It comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which, sings, sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Go in peace and go in the celebration of the reign of our King. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage. And we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.